Hi, everyone, and welcome to the San Diego News Fix. I'm Christy Totten. Continuing our election coverage, today we're going to talk about the San Diego Unified School Board race in Subdistrict B, which covers Tierra Santa, Kearney Mesa, and San Carlos. We have two candidates in this race, Early Education Commissioner Shana Hazen and retired principal and teacher Godwin Higa. Both candidates met with the San Diego Union Tribune editorial board this month to discuss the pandemic, gun violence, standardized testing, and more. This is the first 15 or so minutes of each of their interviews. To hear the full conversation, go online to sandiegouniontribune.com slash election 2022. Thanks for listening. Okay, great. Today, the San Diego Union Tribune editorial board is joined by Shana Hazen, who is running for San Diego Unified School Board, Subdistrict C. Um, thanks very much for taking oh, some time. District B. Let, let me take two. Say that we can do this on Zoom. Um, thank you for correcting me. Uh, today, the San Diego Union Tribune editorial board is uh, talking to Shana Hazen, who is running for San Diego Unified uh, School Board, uh, Subdistrict B. Um, and I appreciate you taking some time to talk to us today, Shannon. Thank you. Why don't we start with a question uh, about the, the pandemic and learning loss, which has exacerbated um, uh, the achievement gap in a lot of ways. Coming in as a new school board member, what, what would be your ways, thoughts um, to address that real problem and to try to help students in a real way? Yeah, so while the pandemic has significantly uh, exacerbated both the opportunity and achievement gap. These things are not new for us in San Diego Unified and frankly, and unfortunately, not new for large urban districts across the country. And for me, you know, closing the opportunity and achievement gap really gets to sort of the core of why I'm running. My whole reason for running is to ensure kids can reach their full potential. And right now we know kids across San Diego um, just aren't. Um, and so there are a lot of things we need to do. Um, we need to be thinking about student mental health and their social emotional learning. Uh, and that, along with all the other things I'm going to share, none of these are earth shattering ideas. None of this, you know, is rocket science. For me, it's really about using evidence-based, research-informed, proven strategies, staffing up, which we know can be challenging, and then implementing proven practices consistently across every school site. Um, and so for me, these are not unsolvable problems, though they're challenging. So investing in mental health, support services, really addressing the trauma um, and adversity that kids have faced, which interfere with their ability to learn both post-pandemic. And we know for all of the kids who were experiencing poverty and food security and unstable housing before the pandemic as well. So starting there, then really digging in uh, on the achievement. So we know, for example, last year, uh, that the district invested about $18 million in literacy acceleration. We know, I think everybody would agree, that's really important, right? The data shows us now, um, even though we don't have San Diego-specific data that has been released by the district, that we can dig in um, to the state data that's been released, we know that 
students are struggling in reading um, significantly, significantly and in math as well. So the district invested $18 million. We don't really know if that money made a difference. Um, and for me, it is taking, again, what we know works in the case of reading. Um, it is using research and the science of reading, um, which tells us that using phonics-based instruction um, and proven comprehension strategies, doing that, using these practices with validity, I know I'm gonna sound like a broken record, um, everywhere makes a difference and that's just not what we saw. And so we saw significant dollars being put at, I think the right problem, um, but not necessarily the right solutions. And then there was not as much accountability as I'd like to see. So it was not until the end of the year, until May, uh, when the board said, hmm, is this working or not? And I can tell you, I asked multiple times throughout the year, asked the district, what are we seeing? We've invested millions to address learning loss in the area of literacy. What are the results showing us? And that information was not shared publicly till the end of the year. So again, none of this is impossible to do. We need to take proven strategies, both mental health, social emotional learning, and on the academic side, and do them consistently, systematically, um, everywhere. And how would you address the mental health issues, which separate from learning loss have also kind of been, um, you know, uh, worsened in, in some families and for some students because of the pandemic? Yeah, and that's something, you know, that I've seen firsthand as a parent. And while my children I haven't suffered um, some of the mental health challenges that we've seen. I know many parents I've spoken to um, have told me about their own children's experiences. And as I talk to educators across the district, I hear that as well. And we know access to high quality professional mental health services um, is really important. And I can tell you, you know, I've heard from parents who say, I've tried to get an appointment um, and this is outside the district and it's really challenging. Likewise, within the district, we're working really hard to staff up to make sure that we have counselors, school psychologists, mental health professionals. Um, I don't think we can do it fast enough uh, and we really have to overcome really you know, significant hurdles to, to staffing, but I think we can do that with appropriate incentives. So it's staffing up in the appropriate areas, making sure also um, right as we're working to get the staff we need and increase capacity, working with teachers, right, classroom teachers to make sure that they understand how to build a trauma-informed classroom, how to incorporate in a very short amount of time on a daily basis, social emotional learning opportunities. And I actually saw this um, in my own daughter's classroom last year in third grade, um, right, 10 minutes a day, let's take some time do a little mental health check-in, create a safe space for kids to share what's going on, the struggles they're experiencing, um, and provide, you know, some real quick sort of coping strategies. Let's talk about breathing, simple things that teachers can do, um, which create a better learning environment and can also buffer against some of that trauma. For acute mental health challenges, I certainly know that's not going to solve the problem, but for a lot of kids, creating this safe space giving them some coping strategies can go a long way. So for me, it's about like, what is the big solution and how, before we get there, can we implement some small uh, interim solutions to support kids so they're not struggling? Um, and I would say likewise for families. So for me, it is always, you know, this recognition that 
kids exist within the context of families. Um, and when we can support kids and families, we are gonna see positive learning outcomes for our students. And so it's also providing parents with support. Um, how do you create positive parenting environments at home? And again, the district doesn't have to do this themselves. There are providers in the community who are funded by the county um, to provide positive parenting programs, mental health supports, but it's also providing those resources for parents because when parents are healthy and happy, and not dealing with uh, mental health challenges, often we see that um, sort of translate into students as well. How I actually, I think I'm the only one of the, many of us on the call have um, children varying ages. I have two in San Diego Unified in, the high, in high school. Um, and you have two children as well. Is your other child also in the school system too young for schools? Can you, are you comfortable with Well, so she's four. So as of this year, she's eligible for UTK. I chose not to enroll her in UTK this year um, because I think there's a lot of work we have to do to make sure that every school and every educator is ready. I think it is an incredibly exciting opportunity for kids and families and you know our district and you know as a first five commissioners, so working at the state level, specifically on early learning uh, to do this, um, it seems like it's been a little rushed. So right now, so I have a daughter uh, enrolled in our neighborhood elementary school where I've been actively involved, I don't even know, since she was three years old, um, before she ever even enrolled there, uh, and then a four-year-old in preschool. And is your plan to have the younger uh, daughter also go through the same elementary school? Yeah, yeah, so that's exactly, we are at that crossroad right now, um, deciding on next year, but yes. Thanks, I'm gonna let my colleagues ask some questions and I may chime in a little bit later. Sure. Um, I yeah. wanted to, to ask you about um, school violence and it's really sad that we have to even talk about this, but it is a reality, mm -hmm. not only in our schools, but across the country. Um, you have some teaching experience in the classroom. Can you tell us, first of all, before I ask, get to the other question, just where was that experience teaching in the classroom? I taught in Chicago public schools. So I grew up here, moved to the Midwest, came back, but taught in Chicago public schools um, in two high poverty uh, schools. Can you tell me where? I'm familiar with the city. Yeah, so on the far west side, so the Austin neighborhood, um, and then the far south side, I think it was 95th and King Drive. Okay, um, so you probably had a much uh, different view and experience there than the schools in San Diego, but how do you feel about metal detectors, teachers being armed, and what do you think is the missing component uh, to try to keep our schools safe? Yes. So, I mean, I can tell you as a mom, there's nothing, I mean, it's making me cry, right? Like our kids' safety is personal to me, right? I want to make sure that our children are safe when they go to school, that our educators are safe, right? Schools should not be a place where people fear for their lives, um, period. Um, and with that in mind, I don't think and not only, I don't think, the research tells us um, that arming teachers is not the way to solve this problem. Um, yes, we certainly need to do things 
um, to harden our campuses, right? Making sure that there are fewer entrances and exits and that they are safe and secure and that, you know, doors are locked, right? Simple things um, that make a big difference. Um, having, you know, video uh, surveillance and other things available so that before someone enters, um, we can see who it is and make sure um, that they're safe. So there's that physical uh, hardening of campuses that we can do. And it's something, frankly, um, when I worked at Jewish Family Service, so for over a decade, it was something we had to do on our campus as well, because as a Jewish agency, um, we were subject to hate-motivated violence. So it's something I'm unfortunately all too familiar with. Um, but I think in terms of solving the problems, uh, there are a variety of solutions. So one of them connects to, you know, we're talking about with mental health services. So making sure um, that students and others, uh, but often it is students or former students um, who may uh, seek to commit acts of gun violence at our schools, that we are identifying students that may be facing mental health challenges, identifying students um, who are showing indications that they may uh, commit violence and providing them with support. Um, and to do that, that means we have to train all of the adults on campus, right? And it's not one campus, we're talking about dozens and dozens of school sites. So again, systematically making sure that we are taking what works and doing it everywhere. So making sure that adults on campus know how to identify those things and provide support um, to people who need them. Secondly, um, I think there are a lot of things I know I included in my questionnaire, six things. Um, they were, these are strategies that were identified by uh, Moms Demand Action um, for creating safer campuses. Um, so it's evidence-based crisis assessment and prevention programs in schools, um, making sure, like I said, that we have appropriate security upgrades on campuses, um, trauma-informed emergency planning. And I will tell you, this hits close to home. Um, last year, my daughter came home from school and said, mom, we had this drill. Like if a bad guy comes and she was really shaken up um, and fearful and anxious. And you know, we went on to have a series of bad dreams for many nights. Um, and I share that not because it's about my one child, but about making sure that when we are doing these drills, lockdown drills, which is something we do district-wide, that we are doing it in a trauma-informed way and in a way that is not making things worse for our kids. Um, and so we need to make sure we're doing that. We need to make sure we are notifying parents in advance, letting parents know how they can be partners right, in supporting this, again, in a trauma-informed way um, is really important. And making sure what the research tells us is that the adults on campus need to know what to do. Right, and need to know how to direct and guide and guide students. And so I am all for investing more in training for our educators and for our school staff. Um, and we have to you know, create in general, just a safer, trusting school climate um, where everybody supports each other. When students are bullied um, or alienated, we often see them lashing out. Um, we, can't see them lash out with violence. Um, and then the last thing that I think is important, and I've been really pleased with what the district has done, is building a culture of secure gun storage. So 
we have seen even before, so a new law was just passed mandating all schools um, let parents know about safe gun storage on an annual basis. Even before that law was passed, San Diego Unified last year emailed all parents to let them know how important this is um, because we know that often uh, the cause of homicide, suicide is a gun in the home. And so we need to make sure that those guns um, are safely locked up if people choose to have them. Today, the San Diego Union Tribune editorial board is joined by Godwin Higa, who's running for San Diego Unified School District School Board. Um, Godwin, thank you so much for taking some time to be with us today. Um, hey, Andres, I just walked in from waving on the uh, along the freeway entrances and whatnot. So <laughs> my costume. <laughs> no, it's all good. The campaigning never stops. Uh, let me ask you a, 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 about the campaign. Why? Um, I know you were uh, in uh, academics for a long time, um, 35 years, um, much of that in the district. Um, why did you decide to, to jump back in after retiring as a principal in 2017? Well, like I said uh, many times, I have 20 years as a principal, and that was a great impact in my feelings about education and there's a lot of changes that need to be done. There are a lot of policies that are punitive to students that I, I worked with and I lived with and fought for, uh, especially suspensions policies and uh, all these different inequity issues that happen in the school district. And I'm at a point right now that I'm gonna be blunt and honest because my experience matters. And a lot of people are now telling me as I'm going house to house and talking to all constituents, uh, this should be a bipartisan position. The board should always be a bipartisan because we have Republican students, independent green students and Democrats. And I believe that we need to represent all students. So when talking to them, they all agree that experience matters. and. With my experience, I'm able to, with my background, challenge discussions that are punitive. I can challenge the superintendent with practices that he's trying to implement that's not good for kids and adults. And with my background, I'll be able to do that. And so I, I consider myself a CEO of a company. And the CEO of a company has all these responsibilities to be run a successful company. And I feel that schools should be run that way, but more importantly, with a heart. And that's why I became a first trauma-informed and restorative justice school in San Diego, identified by the Huffington Post and complemented by the California Endowment, that we do not believe in suspensions. We believe in supplying resources for students rather than suspending them with silly policies that really don't address the trauma that kids go through that come to us, especially with students of color and uh, students in property. And we lack that ability and opportunities to address that because our job is to address all students, all backgrounds and any type of situation students are in. And I believe that with my experience, I, I do believe that it's time for change. It's time to put people 
point out to their their um, situations where they're making decisions that are not good for kids. Oh, and, and I appreciate you sending in um, two Q&As, one in the primary and then um, most recently now here, one for the general election. And in that most recent one, you said that you had three main priorities, uh, addressing the mental health crisis in schools, uh, addressing the achievement gap, and making sure that schools are safe and productive. Um, let me address kind of the first two with a question about learning loss and the pandemic. You'd be coming in at a uh, you know highly unusual, uh, highly important time when a lot of students fell behind, um, and a lot of students had um, both issues with those two things you talked about. The achievement gap got worse in some situations, and mental health uh, also worsened. So, how, how specifically would you address first the mental health component? What 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 would you do for students and and for teachers and staff? You know, I know that there's a lot of COVID funding that's happening. I know that I'm in a national organization that deal with and work with the um, Congress. And I know that there's a lot of funding that's coming out for mental health. Uh, finally, the, the government is looking into mental health crises in adults and children. So I know that and I'm in close contact with Sacramento, whereas an organization called Force campaign for um, to challenge the childhood adversity and work with senators. I even spoke with Todd Gloria in person in Sacramento about the importance of trauma-informed and addressing the mental health issues that we have in our schools. Um, and we, we encourage this because um, our unsafe schools is because kids are coming to school with guns and we're not addressing that. We need to um, look at why they're doing this, why they're killing kids, other their classmates, and why. what can we do to help kids? And I know that addressing this would be looking at ACEs, ACEs too high, and that's adverse childhood experiences. And that is a research and evidence-based research that was created by Kaiser Permanente in San Diego. And it addressed the uh, toxic stress that kids are going through. So I think the first step is to understand ACEs, adverse childhood experiences, like my staff did. Um, they looked at what is ACEs, what is trauma in children. And then when we got to the brain research of ACEs, we realized that it affects three parts of the brain, toxic stress and trauma affects that uh, three parts. And the three parts is when kids are acting out or screaming or they're, they're um, losing sight of memory, all of that are effects of the brain that is damaged through trauma. And once the teachers uh, learn that and they realize that this is an important part of understanding children, and if we address this now and treat them with respect and stop asking them what's wrong with you, but ask them, hey, what's happening to you? They will open up and we start giving them resources that they need to repair the damaged brain. And the good news is trauma in the brain is reversible through therapy and medication or whatever it might take. It takes a while, depending on the severity of the trauma. I think that we, we can use this uh, study, evidence-based study, um, in all schools. And I'm a consultant in Hawaii right now for the last four years, and we have promising results. It's uh, we lowered suspensions 
some school no suspensions, and the most challenging part of Hawaii, Nanakula and Waianae. And Chris might know about that area. But, oh, wow. And we raised student achievement, 10% increase in graduation rate. We lowered and eliminated suspensions. We had 50% increase in teacher retention. So when I talked to my superintendent I'm working with and Mahi in that area, um, I told her that is the greatest indication that teachers now want to teach in this area where they avoided it. It's an hour drive from in traffic from Honolulu. It's on the way outside in the boonies. But now teachers are wanting to teach there. Kids are acting differently. They're not being threatened. Classroom management is improved. So we can do the same thing in uh, California and San Diego. And so my job is to implement something like this because I have proven results on that. And we lack, we really lack an understanding that mental health is a major issue. And if we address mental health first, then the environment of the classroom will change and that's when student achievement occurs. So I believe that that will improve the achievement gap. Oh, and uh, I'll ask another question that will kick the mic to some of my colleagues. And, and a lot of these issues you talked about, will go deeper on uh, only including school safety and in, in, in the wake of Ovaldi and other shootings. But on the achievement gap and learning loss, in your Q&A, you talk about assessment of individual students, one-on-one -on -one meetings, small groups, tutoring. How does that scale in a district with 100,000 students and teachers who are already overworked and overtaxed, overstressed, I should say, overtaxed has different connotations? And I know that strategies are strategies. We can always bring up all these different strategies, but it depends on the teacher themselves, how seasoned they are, how they, how they address student achievement. But I think it's important from the district up to the district to the, the um, principal to assist teachers in those situations. But the key is to look at each child individually before we became a trauma-informed school, we became where I enforced and um, made sure that we, we practice understanding the whole child. And understanding the whole child is to know where the child is emotionally, socially, environmentally, at home, and you know really understand the child. And then we can start looking at the academics and that work. Once the teachers stop looking at the QM files to look at their behavior, in their in their files and treated each child as the first time they ever met them in the beginning of the year, the teachers realized that we should stop all these different indicators of behavior and then go back to really knowing the child so that we can assess them individually as we move forward. I know that there's a lot of suggestions out there uh, for teachers when they come back. And I think it's a great opportunity for teachers, depending on what stage of their teaching life they have, um, to practice some of this and small group, small group instructions, individual assessments, um, not relying on standardized testing because that's a one-year snapshot of the child. And I believe that formative and cumulative self-assessment based on the lesson plans that they created as a PLC, which is a um, a leadership team in each grade level, professional learning communities in each school, and they're doing that in, in San Diego Unified. I think they should really up that 
program where all teachers in each grade level look at strategies and work with the new teachers and the seasoned teachers as master teachers or cooperating teachers so that they can help each other. But I know that there's a lot of strategies, but I believe that small group instruction, working together in grade level meetings, which is PLCs, looking at the uh, standards. And I always tell people the um, common core standard has so many standards that teachers cannot accomplish in one year. So what I taught my teachers was to look at each standard, look at the most critical standards, look at the essential questions that are offered in the uh, common core procedures and build lesson plans so that you can accomplish those standards throughout the year. That made it so much more simpler for teachers so that they're not overwhelmed with all these standards and look at lesson plans that will address the needs of the students. Now, when the lesson plans are made based on the standards, you're gonna have like a third of the class that might get it, the other third might not get it, uh, and the, another third will get it, but still have questions. So that's when the small group instructions or individual um, uh, support staff comes in. And so I don't believe in grades per se, like A, B, C, D, those letter grades, I believe in mastery. And this is a form of mastering the, the content area, mastering the, the uh, standards. And what that means is if a teacher is teaching a lesson on a certain common core standard that uh, is essential for learning, and like I said, the third or maybe half of the class might get the lesson or the standard, the other third that's not getting it, we do not give up on them and move on to the next standard or next lesson, but get help from outside. And we had like tutors with parent volunteers in the lower grades, like kindergarten and first grade. Then we had hired um, aides that could come in and help the students. And the teacher would have the third of that group that were not getting it, meeting with them and finding out what part of the standard did they not get or the lesson and then move them forward. So we're not just teaching a lesson and moving on without assessing where they're at. Thanks again for listening. For more election coverage, including Q&As with the candidates, video interviews, and pro and con essays about state and local ballot propositions, go online to sandiegouniontribune.com slash election 2022. Thanks for listening.